is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome to Wise Guys, These Guys Know Sports here on this Friday, September the 29th in the house with your boy Trey Larkins on the Wise Guys Sports Show. Everybody remember, go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Come on in and sit a while, folks. I got an action jam-packed show. So many topics to get into a lot of different things we're going to discuss on the show. It's week four in the NFL. So I'm going to preview the Bengals-Titans matchup in Nashville this upcoming weekend. Also, I'm going to give my NFL week four wise picks as well. So be on the lookout for that. The number to dial is 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655. That is the number to dial. Any particular topic that you want to discuss, we could talk about it on the show this afternoon. We begin in the NFL with Thursday night football. It was a statement win for the Detroit Lions as the Detroit Lions beat the Green Bay Packers 34-20. to The Lions have won four straight games against the Packers. For the Lions, Jared Goff, he went 19 of 28. He threw for 210 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception. David Montgomery, Cincinnati native, had a sensational performance. 32 carries, 121 rushing yards, three touchdowns. For the Packers, Jordan Love went 23 of 36. He threw for 246 passing yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Here's Packers head coach Matt LaFleur after the game. Give Detroit a lot of credit. They came in and uh, they worked it pretty good. Uh, I, was, I was pleased with our, our team's effort in the second half. I told them, I had challenged them at halftime that, um, you know, to just continue to go out there and compete. I thought we did that. We had an opportunity. It was down 10 and we had a bad penalty uh, to make it a three possession game. But, um, you know, every area, there's a lot of improvement out there for us. I think any time that you go out there and you can't effectively run the football and conversely can't stop the run, that's a recipe for losing football. And that's what happened tonight. And give Detroit credit. We knew they were a tough opponent. Uh, but they, they, they manhandled us uh, really in every phase. That was Packers head coach Matt LaFleur in the immediate aftermath of the Lions 34 to 20 over the Green Bay Packers. And so my biggest takeaway from this matchup between the Lions and the Packers is the Detroit Lions kick the Green Bay Packers ass. Point blank period. The Detroit Lions kicked the Green Bay Packers ass last night on Thursday night football on Amazon Prime Video for everyone who watched this game. We all witnessed a beatdown. The Lions offensive line pumped, straight up pumped the Packers defensive line. Let me name some of the brothers on that Lions offensive line because they deserve a boatload of credit for this Lions dominant win over the Green Bay Packers. 
center Frank Ragno, right guard Graham Glasgow, right tackle Panay Suksuu, left guard Jonah Jackson, left tackle Taylor Decker. Give that offensive line for the Detroit Lions credit because they dominated the line of scrimmage. When the Lions offense went up against the Packers defense, they dominated the line of scrimmage. Completely dominated the line of scrimmage. And in the first half, that is where they dominated the game. Listen to these statistics from the first half of the Lions-Packers game last night. In the first half. The Lions outscored the Packers 27-3. to The Lions had 284 total yards. The Packers only had 23 total yards. The Lions had... 15 first downs. The Packers only had three first downs. Those 27 points that the Lions had in the first half, that's the most first-half points versus the Packers in their series history. They've played 188 games. That 27 points is the most points the Lions have ever scored against the Packers in the first half. And overall, throughout the entire football game, I felt like the Lions – were the better football team, and they were the more physical football team. The Lions had 211 rushing yards. Shout out to David Montgomery, Cincinnati native, with the Mount Healthy High School here in the city of Cincinnati. David Montgomery was balling, balling. 32 carries over 120 rushing yards, averaging 3.8 yards per carry, three touchdowns. For whatever reason, David Montgomery, he seems better now that he's in Detroit compared to what he was in Chicago. I, I, I see a different player in David Montgomery since he's been with the Detroit Lions that he wasn't with the Chicago Bears. But it could be because he was in a pathetic organization in the Chicago Bears. Now he's with the Detroit Lions. You got Jared Goff as your quarterback. You got Dan Campbell as your head coach. So there's some stability in that Lions organization, and we're seeing David Montgomery capitalize off of it. He was the player of the game in my eyes. He had a sensational performance, but it wasn't just him. Reynolds, the receiver for the Lions, three receptions, 69 receiving yards. St. Brown, five receptions, 56 receiving yards, one touchdown. The tight end for the Lions, Laporta, four receptions, 56 receiving yards. The Lions offense dominated the Green Bay Packers defense. And I got to give Jared Goff some credit because I've been critical of Jared Goff. I really, really have. And you look at Jared Goff so far this season. Jared Goff, six touchdowns, three interceptions, 1,029 passing yards. He's completing 70% of his passes. Jared Goff, he's not an elite quarterback. But he is a good quarterback. For years, I had my questions about Jared Goff. And when the Lions traded Matthew Stafford to the L.A. Rams and they traded and brought back Goff in that deal, I said the Rams won that deal. And I still feel like the Rams got the better player because they obviously won a Super Bowl with Stafford, something that they could not do with Goff. But Goff did get the Rams to a Super Bowl. They just weren't able to get over that hump. But Jared Goff is a quarterback who stabilizes your organization. In primetime games, Jared Goff is 14-8. And, and over the last few years, 
He's been the best quarterback in the NFL against the spread. So most gamblers out there, when they see teams going up against Jared Goff, opposing teams going up against Jared Goff, they go and they pick the other team to win because they sleep on Jared Goff, including myself. Jared Goff has led this Detroit Lions team to a 3-1 and record, and they right now are the team to beat in the NFC North. No doubt about it. And then even defensively, last night, they completely controlled the game when the Packers' offense was against the Lions' defense. The Lions defensively controlled that matchup. Last night, the Lions had five total sacks, and they ended up forcing two interceptions from Jordan Love. And I feel like in the four games that Jordan Love has played, this is the worst performance that he has had. And it's because of that Detroit Lions defense. Aiden Hutchinson, the Packers offensive line had no answers for Aiden Hutchinson. Zero answers for Aiden Hutchinson. He's the draft pick from Michigan a few years ago. He was great even at the University of Michigan. So he's a Michigan kid. And I love that story from, 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 from Hutchinson because Hutchinson got a chance to play at Michigan and then he gets drafted by the Detroit Lions. So he's familiar with that area. They love Aiden Hutchinson up there in Detroit. Aiden Hutchinson is a top 10 defensive player right now in the NFL. But Benito Jones, Charles Harris, and they got linebackers and Jack Campbell and Isla Zone as well, number 34 for the Detroit Lions, who played well last night. This is a Lions team that did not have C.J. Gardner-Johnson last night, and they had one of their defensive backs in Brian Branch get injured. And they still, still frustrated Jordan Love all night long. Give the Detroit Lions credit. They are really playing some great football right now. They've beaten the Packers four times in a row. And Dan Campbell has Matt LaFleur's number right now. We, we got we to call it like it is. Dan Campbell has beaten Matt LaFleur the last four times they have faced off against one another. And you look at Dan Campbell since he's been the head coach of the Detroit Lions. His record is only 20 and 29. Well, 20, 29 and 1. He has one tie on his record. So he's only won 39% of his games. But the way that this Lions team has been built, they have really, really solidified that offensive line. I was listening to Aiden Hutchinson after the game in his interview. He said, I grew up with Aaron Rodgers kicking our ass every year. Aaron is out of the division, so life is good right now. That was Aiden Hutchinson on the Lions-Packers rivalry in the NFC North. It ain't a damn rivalry right now. It is not a rivalry. The Detroit Lions are the class of the NFC North, and we're going to see what happens as the season goes along, but they've definitely been the best team so far in the NFC North. And you look at the NFC North overall, the Vikings, it's a great possibility that they're going to be moving on from Kirk Cousins after the season. The Bears, they don't have a quarterback. Justin Fields has not lived up to expectations. And the Packers are still trying to figure out if Jordan Love is their franchise quarterback moving forward. So this is a perfect, perfect opportunity for the Detroit Lions to prove that they are the class of the NFC North. And it started with a statement win last night 
against Jordan Love and the Green Bay Packers. Give them credit. And this is the Lions' schedule over the next few weeks. Week five, they are home against the Panthers. They'll be favored in that game. Week six, they got to go to Tampa and play Baker Mayfield and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They'll be favored in that game. Now, week seven, they are in Baltimore against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. I would favor Lamar and the Ravens in that game, but that's a game the Lions could win. Week eight, they are home against Jimmy G and the Las Vegas Raiders. So over the next four, they got a bye in week nine. Over the next four weeks, they're going to be favored in three out of their four games. So they're going to have an opportunity to build some separation between themselves and the Packers or the Vikings, whichever team is in second place in the North. Give them credit. Now, when it comes to the Green Bay Packers, Jordan Love, this was his worst performance in the four games so far this season. He had two interceptions. He went 23 of 36, 246 passing yards. Jordan Love didn't play well in this game. But we have to remember and also add context to why he didn't play well. You look at the Packers right now. They got two starting offensive linemen who are out, David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins. These are two of the Packers' best offensive linemen. And I feel like because they don't have Bakhtiari or Elton Jenkins, it's really affecting Jordan Love and this Packers offense right now. It really, really is. And I feel like overall, the Packers in, in prior years, they've always had good offensive lines. But this year, they're struggling up front. Center Josh Myers, John Runyon is the right guard, Zach Tom, he was getting destroyed last night. Rasheed Walker also was getting beat every single play. They could not contain that Lions pass rush at all. Rasheed Walker was awful last night. And Royce Newman, he was getting beat at the point of attack, and that's the reason why the Packers weren't able to run the football last night. For the game, the Packers only had 27 rushing yards. 27 rushing yards. Now, one thing I have to criticize Matt LaFleur for is only giving Aaron Jones the football five times. Aaron Jones last night, he was active, and he returned after missing two games. Aaron Jones, five carries, 18 rushing yards. You got to give your best players the football. It's inexcusable for Aaron Jones to only have five carries. Come on now, Matt, what are you doing? You, If you want to take some pressure off of Jordan Love and you want to try to stop that, that great pass rush from the Lions last night, because it was great last night, you have to run the football. Run the football, Matt. You got Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. I know people don't really like the way A.J. Dillon has been playing this year, but A.J. Dillon is a power running back who runs behind his pads. You got Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Run the football and take some pressure off of Jordan Love. That made no sense to me. But all in all, that Lions defensive line dominated the Packers offensive line. And again, would the Packers have protected Jordan Love better if David Bontiari and Elton Jenkins played in this game? I believe so. I do believe that they would have protected Jordan Love better and they could have 
had Jordan Love play better overall if he was protected. But, again, he didn't play great last night, but I'm not going to pretend like, oh, Jordan Love is a bum. He's not the franchise quarterback for the Green Bay Packers moving forward. We got to be patient with Jordan Love. We got to be patient. And it's crazy because when you look at Jordan Love's numbers, he doesn't play well in the first half, but he plays great in the second half. Look at his performances so far in the first half and in the second half. In the first half, he's completing 47% of his passes. In the second half, he's completing 63% of his passes. In the first half, two touchdowns, one interception. In the second half, eight touchdowns, two interceptions. His yards per pass attempt in the first half, 4.8. In the second half, 8.4. Passer rating in the first half, 66. In the second half, 104.7. So he's playing better in the second half. Usually, young quarterbacks, they play better when they're on script. And on script is in the, the first quarter when the coach has 20 to 25 plays already designed for the quarterback to be successful. Usually quarterbacks play well in the first half and they struggle in the second half. It's been the exact opposite with Jordan Love. He's hasn't played well in the first half, but he's played pretty good overall in the second half. But I felt like also a key moment in this game was the Lions drive in the fourth quarter. The Packers had cut the Lions lead to 10. It was 27 to 17. And as a Packers fan, I was thinking, we got a shot here. We got a chance if we can get a defensive stop. And in the fourth quarter, on the, the Lions' touchdown drive, they go 14 plays, 75 yards, six first downs, and they had eight minutes and 52 seconds of time of possession, and they finished off the drive with a one-yard touchdown run by David Montgomery. So, that, I thought, was also the biggest drive of the game. Because if you give Jordan Love and the Packers the ball back down 10, the Packers gain some confidence, and they feel like we might be able to win this game, reminiscent of what happened three days ago when they played against the New Orleans Saints. But, I, 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 again, I still feel like Jordan Love, through the first four weeks, has played well. But last night, with that offensive line struggling the way that they did, I'm not ready to say that the Packers should consider moving up in the draft next year or trying to go out and search for a quarterback for the future. I feel like you still got to remain patient with Jordan Love and see what happens moving forward. Now, here's the Packers schedule over the next few weeks. Week five, they're in Vegas to take on the Raiders on Monday night. That's going to be the first game that Devontae Adams has played against his former team. And then week six, they have a bye. Week seven, they're in Denver against Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos. That's a winnable game for the Packers. Then week eight, they are home against the Vikings. Week nine, they're home against the Rams. They got to get some players back healthy. No David Bautiari last night. No Elton Jenkins. No Devondre Campbell on defense. And no Jair Alexander. And I feel like for the Packers to compete with the Lions, because that's who the Packers are competing against now in the NFC North. I know the Minnesota Vikings won the division last year, but the biggest threats to the Packers in the NFC North is now the Detroit Lions. They don't need to worry about the Minnesota Vikings. 
I, I, Minnesota is in the rearview mirror. I don't, I don't think Minnesota is going to be in a playoff conversation as we get closer to November and December. So the Packers have to figure out a way to beat the Detroit Lions, and they need to be more physical up front. That's the way you beat Detroit because Detroit plays big boy football. We got to call it like it is. And they literally punked the Green Bay Packers last night at Lambeau Field on Amazon Prime Video for the nation to see. Give the Lions credit. Right now, they are the team to beat in the NFC North. My beloved Packers have a long way to go. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. I'll be right back. Wise guys, these guys know sports. Here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Remember, go follow the Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Remember to call to the show, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655 is number to dial. Any particular topic that you want to discuss, we could talk about it on the show this afternoon and later on in the show i'm going to give my nfl week four wise picks so be on the lookout for that i'm gonna give everyone my week my week four predictions for the show and talk about week four and also some other games i'm gonna talk about the afc east matchup in buffalo it's the two the three and oh Miami Dolphins taking on the 2-1 and one Buffalo Bills. So I'm excited for that matchup uh, for sure on, on Sunday afternoon in Buffalo. So that's definitely a, a matchup to be on the lookout for. So be tuned in and be ready to hit, listen to that as well. But also, don't forget, it's the weekend. So we got high school football as well. So there's some great matchups this weekend over the tri-state area here in Cincinnati. So be on the lookout for that as well. Let's transition and let's go to some NBA news as the Milwaukee Bucks, they traded for Damian Lillard in a blockbuster trade a few days ago. The Bucks, they received Damian Lillard. The Blazers, they received Drew Holiday. DeAndre Ayton, Kamara, a 2029 unprotected first-round pick from the Bucks, Also, an unprotected Bucks pick swap rights in 2028 and 2030. And the Suns were also a part of this three-team deal. The Suns, 
receive Nurkic, Grayson Allen, Nasir Little, and Keon Johnson. So a blockbuster three-team deal in the NBA. This happened on Wednesday. So Damian Lillard is now in Milwaukee alongside Giannis. So the NBA title odds were announced, and they came out in the immediate aftermath after Damian Lillard got traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks are now the favorites to win the NBA championship next season. They are a plus 360. The Celtics are in second place at plus 500. The Suns are in third place at plus 550. Nuggets are plus 650. The defending NBA champions are fourth. I think that's kind of crazy. And Lakers are in fifth place. So my initial reaction to seeing the Milwaukee Bucks trade for Damian Lillard was at first initially I was upset because I am a Damian Lillard fan and I'm also a Boston Celtics fan because I like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and if you know me you know over the last few years I have been a fan of Jason Tatum on and off the court when it comes to basketball Overall, I like the way he is as a father and his relationship with his son and just the different things that he does in his community. I've been a fan of Jason Tatum since he's coming to the NBA. I have been a fan of Jalen Brown as well. I love the things that Jalen Brown does off the court and the moves that he's making in the Boston community and just overall, period. I like Jalen Brown not only as a player but as a person, and I like Tatum as a player and a person as well so I've been a fan of the Boston Celtics the last few years and so initially when it was reported earlier in the offseason about how Damian Lillard was going to go to Miami and I, I was like okay well it's going to be Dame Jimmy Butler and Bam and I would root for Dame so wherever Dame plays I'm rooting for that team as well but I'm not rooting for the team I'm rooting for Damian Lillard and when it comes to the Celtics I'm rooting for Tatum and Brown but I root for the team as well because I want them to be successful. So one of the rivals in the East for the last few years has been the Milwaukee Bucks. That's been a rival of the Boston Celtics. And so when I heard about Dame getting traded to the Milwaukee Bucks, I was like, damn. Now I have to root for the Bucks in a way because I want Damian Lillard to win an NBA championship. I am a fan of Damian Lillard. I believe that Damian Lillard it's one of the greatest shooters in NBA history. And outside of Steph Curry, there's no one, no one in NBA history who can shoot the lights out like Dame. Now, Klay Thompson can shoot, and he can shoot at a high level. But Damian Lillard is a threat literally once he passes half court, similar to the way that Steph Curry is as well. And Damian Lillard, for his career, the man averages 25 points per game on 44% shooting from the floor, but he shoots 37% from three-point range. He also averages seven assists per game, so he's an underrated passer as well. I believe Damian Lillard is the most clutch player in the NBA. I believe Damian Lillard is more clutch than LeBron James. I believe Damian Lillard is more clutch than Kevin Durant. I believe Damian Lillard is even more clutch than his current teammate now 
and Giannis. And these are three players who over the last few years have been top five players in the NBA in LeBron, Kevin Durant, and Giannis. Like, however you want to rank LeBron, KD, and Giannis, they've been in that top five conversation for the last few years. But Damian Lillard is more clutch than all of them, all of them. And he spent 11 seasons in Portland, and I am happy for Damian Lillard because now he's going to get an opportunity to compete for a championship, and all he needs left on his resume is an NBA championship to solidify him as one of the greatest players of all time. That's the one thing that Damian Lillard needs, and he's now in Milwaukee alongside Giannis, and he's going to get an opportunity to compete for championships for multiple seasons moving forward. But when I thought about the X's and O's of Damian Lillard now being in Milwaukee and how he compliments Giannis, I want to be very, very clear about what I'm about to say. I feel like Damian Lillard and Giannis, they are a perfect fit and a match made in heaven from a basketball standpoint. Because when you look at the Milwaukee Bucks, last year they were a top five defensive team. They were top five in overall defense. But they were ranked 15th in offense. So essentially what the Milwaukee Bucks are doing here is they're trading defense for offense. They gave up Drew Holiday and his great defense for Damian Lillard and his elite offense. And so they want to execute better offensively. And I feel like in years prior, the Bucks' biggest issue in late-game execution was Giannis would just go downhill and teams would build a wall up against Giannis and he was ineffective in late-game situations because Giannis doesn't have a consistent perimeter shot that he can hit to offset the opposing team's wall that they're building up against him. So I feel like the Bucks have struggled over the last few years in late-game situations because they don't have a reliable option to go to in the fourth quarter in clutch moments. Because Chris Middleton, he hasn't been the same since the Bucks won the championship a few years ago. Chris Middleton, the year when the Milwaukee Bucks won the NBA title, it wasn't Giannis who was the Bucks closer. It was Chris Middleton. But Chris Middleton has been dealing with injuries since the Bucks won the championship. He's been dealing with a lot of injuries. And so he hasn't been the closer that he once was. Damian Lillard is now the answer in Milwaukee when it comes to closing games. Because now you can't just build up a wall against Giannis. You got to defend Dame on the perimeter. And again, he's one of the best and most clutch players in the NBA. He's the most clutch player in the NBA. So now I feel like Dame's deficiencies are Giannis's strengths and Giannis' deficiencies are Dame's strength. And that's why I feel like they're the perfect fit. I said it even last year during the season when we were talking about how Dame may want out of Portland. I said if he goes to Milwaukee, that's going to be a problem. That's going to be a problem because it's the perfect fit for the Milwaukee Bucks and it's the perfect fit when it comes to stars 
trying to complement each other and have chemistry. I believe that Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo are a perfect combination in Milwaukee, and I believe that they are a top-five duo in the NBA already. They ain't even played a game yet together, and I already feel like the Milwaukee Bucks with Damian Lillard and Giannis are a top-five duo in the NBA. But I just feel like overall, though, on that Bucks basketball team, they still got Lopez. They still got Portis as well. To me, that the, the Milwaukee Bucks are in the same conversation as the Boston Celtics. To me, those are the two best teams in the East, in the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. So now I feel like Miami, when we look at the Miami Heat, them losing Damian Lillard, not getting an opportunity to, to, to have Damian Lillard on their team, because it was it was almost a foregone conclusion that Dame was going to be in Miami. I just I, I knew that oh Dame going to Miami for sure. Because usually stars in the NBA, when they want to get traded or want out of a situation, they usually A get traded and B, they normally get traded to the team that they want to go to. And so I said he was going to Miami. And now that Miami lost out on Dame, I think Miami's going to be able to compete with the Boston Celtics or the Milwaukee Bucks. Yes, Heat fans, y'all beat the Celtics last year in the Eastern Conference Finals. That did happen. But at some point, your talent has to be equal to what your hard work is. We know in Miami they work hard. Pat Riley is a top organization in, in the NBA. He's, he's, a, he's a great, you know, person in that, in that organization that helps that Miami Heat organization go. And they got a, they're a hard-working organization. But at some point, you got to be able to have the horses to compete with the Boston Celtics of the world and the Milwaukee Bucks of the world. And I just don't think Miami has enough now. I just don't. I had, Last year, even when we watched in the NBA Finals, when they got to the Finals against the Denver Nuggets, the Nuggets had too much firepower in Nikola Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. and that entire Nuggets basketball team. They, they, they just had way too much firepower. Jamal Murray reemerged to being a star. And so it was too much firepower for Miami to overcome. I feel like it's going to be too much firepower for them to overcome in the East this year as well. Damian Lillard, for his career, he averages 25 points per game on 44% shooting from the floor. He shoots 37% from three-point range, outside of Steph Curry, there is no player in NBA history who can shoot the basketball the way that Damian Lillard shoots the basketball. The way he shoots the rock, it's only Steph Curry and Damian Lillard in that class. I'm talking about from the ability to once Damian Lillard passes half court, he's a threat. As great of a shooter as Reggie Miller was, as great of a shooter Clay Thompson currently is, neither Clay Thompson, Reggie Miller, or any of those other great shooters in NBA history can shoot the basketball from the distance that Damian Lillard and Steph Curry can shoot it. It's Damian Lillard and Steph Curry in a class of their own. But Damian Lillard spent 11 seasons in Portland, and so when he got traded to the Bucks. I had mixed feelings about it because I am a Celtics fan, 
because I'm a fan of Jason Tatum. I've been a fan of Jason Tatum for years since he's been into the NBA. I'm a fan of Jason Tatum, the player, and I'm a fan of Jason Tatum, the person as well. And so I root for the Celtics during the NBA playoffs and during the season. And so for years, the rivals, per se, of the Boston Celtics were the Milwaukee Bucks. And so a part of me was happy for Dame because now Dame will get an opportunity to compete for an NBA championship. But the other part of it was I was thinking like, damn, as a Celtics fan, the Celtics got some competition now in the Eastern Conference because as great as Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are, they're not as good as Damian Lillard and Giannis. And when it comes to the Milwaukee Bucks, now that Damian Lillard is in Milwaukee, Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo are the perfect fit from a basketball perspective. It's a match made in heaven. And the reason why it's a match made in heaven is Damian Lillard's strengths are Giannis's weaknesses. Giannis's strengths are Damian Lillard's weaknesses. So I feel like they, they complement each other perfectly. And over the last few years, when you look at the Milwaukee Bucks, and specifically last year, last year, the Milwaukee Bucks, they were ranked top five in defense, but they were ranked 15th in offense. And essentially in this deal, the Milwaukee Bucks, they are trading Drew Holiday's elite defense for Damian Lillard's elite offense. And so in today's NBA, you have to be able to score at a high level and you need your stars to be able to score the basketball in april may and june and that's exactly what the milwaukee bucks are getting in damian lillard a player who can create his own shot and what makes damian lillard so great he's the ultimate closer i believe over the last five to six years the best three players in the nba and you can also throw Steph Curry into this conversation. The best four players in the NBA, arguably, because Kawhi's been dealing with a lot of injuries, I believe it's Steph Curry, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, and Giannis. But as great as those four players who I just named are, none of them are as clutch as Damian Lillard is. Damian Lillard is the most clutch player in the NBA. He's the, he's the most clutch. And when you talk about a closer, that's exactly what Damian Lillard is. And for me, when I look at the Milwaukee Bucks from an X's and O's standpoint, over the last few years, they struggle in late game situations because what they do in late games is they give the ball to Giannis. And opposing teams, they build up a wall against Giannis. And so because Chris Middleton has not been healthy the last few years, the Bucks struggle in late game clutch situations because even the year when the Bucks won the championship, it wasn't Giannis who was the closer for the Milwaukee Bucks. It was Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton was the closer for the Milwaukee Bucks when they beat the Phoenix Suns in the NBA Finals a few years ago. And so over the last few years, Chris Middleton 
has been dealing with injury after injury, and so he hasn't been 100%. And so in late-game situations, teams have been able to put a wall up against Giannis, and the Bucks offensively have struggled in the playoffs. Now that you got Damian Lillard, that will not be an issue for the Milwaukee Bucks moving forward because Damian Lillard is the ultimate closer. So if you build up a wall against Giannis, Damian Lillard can create off the dribble and get to the rim, but he's a tremendous, tremendous perimeter shooter. And for his career, he shot 37% from three-point range. So you can't build up that wall against Giannis anymore because you have to account for Damian Lillard's ability to score the basketball at a high level. So now this makes the Milwaukee Bucks, in my eyes, a top two team in the Eastern Conference. I think right now the two best teams in the East are clearly, clearly the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. And also something else to keep in mind, Terry Stotts, he was Damian Lillard's coach in Portland at one point. He is on the coaching staff in Milwaukee. They have a new head coach, Adrian Griffin. He replaced Mike Budenholzer. So Damian Lillard has a relationship already with Terry Scott Stotts. And so that's also going to help this Milwaukee Bucks team as well. And I said it last year that, you know, if Dame ends up on the Milwaukee Bucks, the way that he compliments Giannis, it's a match made in heaven from a basketball standpoint. And the moment that the Milwaukee Bucks traded for Damian Lillard, Dame Dollar and Giannis instantly, instantly became a top five duo in the NBA. And when I think about top five duos, I think about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I think about Kawhi Leonard and Paul George when they are healthy. I think about Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. You got to include Damian Lillard and Giannis Atticupo in that conversation now as well. So this was a big-time move for the Milwaukee Bucks. And Giannis, over the last few months, he's been flirting with the idea of moving on from Milwaukee and possibly leaving Milwaukee. And now that you bring in Damian Lillard, I think it's safe to say that Giannis Atticupo is going to be in Milwaukee for future seasons to come. And this is going to be a championship contender next season. And I'm happy for Dane because Dane gave his heart and soul to Portland. His heart and soul. 11 seasons he gave to the Portland Trailblazers organization. And, again, he's the most clutch player in the NBA. He's the ultimate closer. And they still got a solid team defensively. Even though you traded Drew Holiday and you gave up some of your perimeter defense, this Milwaukee Bucks team will still be good from a defensive standpoint. You still got Bobby Portis in that front line. You still got Lopez as well. And so they're going to be a, a solid defensive basketball team. Dame is going to help them in late-game situations. Mark my words. But also, I feel like considering the circumstances, I like this move for the Portland Trailblazers because you get back DeAndre Ayton, and I feel like DeAndre Ayton, his, his, him and the Phoenix Suns' time had ran out. That relationship had ran its course. And so now in Portland, 
a team that's coached by Chauncey Billups, and I like Chauncey Billups as a head coach. I think he can develop some of these young players on this Trailblazers basketball team. And you look at their roster. They got DeAndre Aiden. You got Scoop Henderson, who they're building around now. You still got Jeremy Grant. You got Anthony Simons, Sheldon Sharp as well. I like DeAndre Aiden on this Trailblazers basketball team. I really, really do. So look out for the Blazers. I'm not saying the Blazers are going to be championship contenders. They're not championship contenders. They may not even be playoff contenders, but they have a nice, bright future around DeAndre Aiden and Scoot Henderson. And I like their head coach in Chauncey Billups. And the Phoenix Suns, they got Nurkic in this deal. So Nurkic is going to help them from a defensive standpoint as, you know, overall. And obviously that team, the trio, is Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, and Kevin Durant. But they were looking to move off of DeAndre Aiden. They were able to do that. So I feel like this is one of those trades that's a win-win for everybody. It's a win-win for everybody. The Milwaukee Bucks, Portland Trailblazers, and Phoenix Suns all won in this deal. And, again, I am happy for Damian Lillard. I am a Damian Lillard fan, and I don't apologize for it. So now for me, when I watch the playoffs in April, May, and June, I'm going to be rooting for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in the Celtics, but if Damian Lillard and the Milwaukee Bucks meet the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals and the, the Bucks beat the Celtics, I'm rolling with Dame in the Finals. I'm rolling with Damian Lillard in the Finals. And one other thing I want to say before I move on, the Miami Heat were linked to Damian Lillard all offseason long. It was going to be the trio of Damian Lillard, Jimmy Butler, and Bam out of Bayou. And now that they have missed out on an opportunity to trade for Damian Lillard, I don't know if the Miami Heat are going to be able to compete with the upper echelon of the teams in the Eastern Conference like the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks because there's a talent gap now when you look at the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat. Yes, Heat fans. They did beat the Boston Celtics last year in the Eastern Conference Finals. But if you look at the teams top to bottom, the Boston Celtics are a more talented team than the Miami Heat are. And the Milwaukee Bucks damn sure are more talented than, than the Miami Heat are. So I don't know about Miami. I think Miami will be a playoff team, of course, in the Eastern Conference. I would take Miami over the New York Knicks and, you know, the, the, even the Philadelphia 76ers. I would take the Miami Heat over as well. But I'm not, I don't think the Miami Heat are on the same level as the Boston Celtics or the Milwaukee Bucks. And the two best teams in the Eastern Conference now, it's clear, it's the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. They will be on a collision course to see who gets to represent the East in the NBA Finals next year. I'm book, you can book it now, right, right now, the Eastern Conference Finals will be Celtics-Bucks. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter. At WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, WiseGuys. And be sure to follow WiseGuys on Instagram at TheseGuysNoSports. Coming out the break, I'm going to preview the AFC East matchup between the Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills. I'll be right back.
the wise guys. These guys know sports here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Remember, go follow wise guys on Twitter at wiseguys underscore h also on facebook wise guys and be sure to follow wise guys on instagram at these guys no sports remember the number to dial 513-203-8655 513-203-8655 is the number to dial any particular topic that you want to discuss we can talk about it on the show this afternoon but let's transition let's go to an afc east battle between the Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills are favored by three points. It's a one o'clock kickoff in Buffalo. The over-under for this matchup is 53 and a half points. So it's Tua Tagovailoa versus Josh Allen. So when I look at this matchup, let's start off with the Dolphins offense versus the Bills defense. You look at the Miami Dolphins. Obviously, they are led by Tua Tagovailoa, and Tua, so far, has been balling. Eight touchdowns, two interceptions, 1,024 passing yards. He's completing 71% of his passes. Tua Tagovailoa, through the first three weeks of the season, is the NFL MVP. He has been playing at a high level, and this entire Miami Dolphins offense has been playing at a high level. You look at some of their statistics. They're ranked first in the NFL. They average 552 total yards per game. They average 362 passing yards per game. That's ranked first in the NFL. They average 188 rushing yards per game. That's ranked first in the NFL. And they average 43 43 points per game. That's ranked first in the NFL. The one thing that has impressed me the most with this Miami Dolphins offense, because we know how great Tua, Tyreek Hill, and Jalen Waddle are. We know how great they are. But what's impressed me the most is their ability to run the football. So far in the first three weeks of the season, the Miami Dolphins are ranked first in the NFL and rushing yards per game. They average 188 rushing yards per game. So Raheem Mozart, Devon Akane, they have done a tremendous job running the football. You got to give the Miami Dolphins credit. And their offensive line has done great. They got center Connor Williams up front, right guard Robert Hunt, right tackle Austin Jackson, left guard Isaiah Wynn, this Miami Dolphins offensive line, they're not getting the credit because they don't they, they have such elite skill position players like Tyreek and Jalen Waddle and Tua's playing at such a high level. We're forgetting about this Dolphins offensive line. Because this offensive line, they have opened up running lanes for Mozart and Devon Akane. Give them credit. Give this Dolphins offensive line a lot of credit. They're playing at a high level. And they're part of the reason why the Dolphins are 3-0 and why they are ranked first in a lot of major categories offensively. Give them credit for it, for sure. Mike McDaniel has done a tremendous job at calling plays for this Miami Dolphins offense. And look at, this, look at some of these numbers from their win over the Denver Broncos. 70-20 win over the Denver Broncos last week. A historic day in Miami. 
The Dolphins scored 70 points. That's tied for the second most points in NFL history. They had 726 total yards. That's the second most in an NFL game in NFL history. Devon Akane, Tyreek Hill, Raheem Mozart, they all combined for nine total touchdowns. That's how elite this Miami Dolphins offense is playing right now. And Tua, again, is the current NFL MVP. But he wouldn't be the MVP if he didn't have an elite receiver like Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill, 25 receptions, 412 receiving yards, four touchdowns. Tyreek Hill right now, he's the best receiver in pro football. It is not a conversation at the moment on who's the best receiver in the NFL because it's Tyreek Hill. I love Devontae Adams. I love Justin Jefferson. I love Jamar Chase. But right now, the best receiver in the NFL is Tyreek Hill. Now, Jalen Waddle didn't play in their week three win over the Broncos, but Jalen Waddle's going to play in this matchup against the Buffalo Bills. And so they're playing well offensively. Now, the biggest challenge is going to be for this Bills defense. The Bills defense, they have to try and contain the Dolphins offense. That, that, they're not going to completely stop the Dolphins offense, but you got to try and contain the Dolphins offense. You, you, that's, that's their best That's their best chance to be able to try and win this game. Now you look at the Buffalo Bills defensively, right? The Buffalo Bills over the last few weeks, they've done a pretty good job. Last week in week three, the Bills, they held the commanders. And remember, this is this is a commanders team that had just put up 35 against the Denver Broncos in week two. They held the 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 commanders to only three points last week in week three. Only three points. So you 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 gotta give the 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 Bills defense credit. You gotta give them some credit. And again, they got a they got a tall task this week in in this matchup against Miami. A very, very tall task. And so I'm looking at this Bills defense right now. Up front, you got players like Greg Rashu, Ed Oliver, Daquan Jones. They still don't got Von Miller. I expect Von Miller to be back at some point. But they did lose Tremaine Edmonds. He was the former linebacker on the Buffalo Bills. He went to Chicago. But now at linebacker, you got Terrell Bernard. You got also Matt Milano and Tredavious White in that secondary. And Micah Hyde. This is a tall task for this Bills secondary. Micah Hyde, Tredavious White, Taron Johnson, they're going to be challenged in this matchup because, you, again, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are, are, are unguardable. They're unguardable. The best thing you can try and do is apply pressure on Tua. That way the Dolphins' offense is thrown off, and they're, they're not in a rhythm. Last week, the Broncos defensively, they did absolutely nothing against the Dolphins. They did nothing to throw off Tua's rhythm, and that's why you saw Tua have – over 300 yards passing, and they had nine total touchdowns between Akane, Tyreek Hill, and Mozart. They did nothing to throw off that that Dolphins offense. So the, the Bills, I feel like their pass rush is going to have to try and apply some pressure on Tua Tagovailoa. So Ed Oliver, 
Daquan Jones, Leonard Floyd, okay, Greg Rasu, they're going to have to apply some pressure, and they need to win their matchup against that Dolphins offensive line for them to have a chance. The Bills defensive line needs to win their matchup against the Dolphins offensive line. That's the only chance that the Bills have. Now, when you look at the Buffalo Bills, their quarterback is Josh Allen. And so far this season, Josh Allen, statistically, he hasn't been great. Five touchdowns, four interceptions, 728 passing yards. He's completing 73% of his passes. Josh Allen has not been great statistically this year. But the one thing I want to give the Bills credit for is they found a nice, reliable running back in James Cook who they can rely on to run the football. This year, the Miami Dolphins, they average 149 rushing yards per game. That's ranked seventh in the NFL. And we've seen in years prior where the, the Bills, they didn't have a reliable running game to depend on. And honestly, it was times where Josh Allen had to run the football and help them in their running game. But now James Cook, he has performed well so far this season. James Cook, 44 carries, 267 rushing yards, averaging over six yards per carry. James Cook, he's the brother of Jets running back Dalvin Cook. James Cook has played well in these first three weeks for the Buffalo Bills. And the Buffalo Bills are not one-dimensional anymore. They can run the football. And so that's what has impressed me so far in these first three weeks. We'll see if they can keep it up. But that has helped this Bills offense be more balanced. It's more balanced now. Now, their best receiver is Stephon Diggs. For the season, Stephon Diggs, 25 receptions, 279 receiving yards, one touchdown. Stephon Diggs is the best player offensively for the Buffalo Bills, not named Josh Allen. He is their go-to receiver, and, you know, it was rumors in the offseason. And, you know, it was even earlier in the season when Stephen A. went on first take, and he said Stephon Diggs wants out of Buffalo. And, of course, Stephon Diggs denied those those accusations, those, those, those rumors, but I, I feel like there's some truth to it. I know Stephen A. is not going to go on first take and just – make up stuff. Somebody told Stephen A that information. But people had questions about Stefan Diggs once we came into the season because people were wondering how committed is Stefan Diggs to the Buffalo Bills Super Bowl aspirations. Like how committed is Stefan Diggs? Because they're saying that Stefan Diggs feels like the Buffalo Bills window has passed. So far he's played pretty well. 25 receptions over 250 receiving yards for the season. He's played well to, to start the season. But I, I'm interested to see on that Bills offense, who else can step up in the passing game for Josh Allen? Will it be Gabe Davis this week? Will it be Trent Surfield? I like their tight end and Dawson Knox. So who else is going to step up in that Bills offense? And that's something that we gotta that we gotta keep in mind and look out for because I like Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis, but they're not on the level of a Tyreek Hill and a Jalen Waddle. They're not even on the level of a Brandon Ayuk and a Debo Samuel or Jamar Chase and a T. Higgins. They're not. But they're 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 solid. 
They really, really are. You look at what the Bills were able to do last week against the Commanders. Last week against the Commanders, the Bills had 218 passing yards, 168 rushing yards. Cook had 15 carries, 98 rushing yards, averaging over six yards per carry. So that was impressive for that Bills offense. But last week, I'm looking at the Bills and their receivers. Stephon Diggs, eight receptions, 111 receiving yards. Gabe Davis only had one catch for 35 receiving yards. That was a touchdown reception, but that was it. Surfield, two receptions, 18 receiving yards. Hardy, two receptions, 15 receiving yards. Who's going to be that other receiver who steps up in this Bills offense to complement what Stephon Diggs is doing on the other side? Usually it's Gabe Davis, but we'll see who is going to be in week four against the Dolphins. We got we, that's, that's something else we got to keep an eye on as well. Now, when you look at these two teams, these two teams have the highest points per game averages so far this season. The Buffalo Bills are averaging 30.3 points per game. The Dolphins are averaging 43.3 points per game. So these are the two best offenses right now in the NFL from a points-per-game standpoint. So this is going to be interesting. This is going to be interesting. Josh Allen, he has, over the last, I feel like over the last year or so, Josh Allen has turned the ball over a lot. And it's crazy because I think Josh Allen is more talented than Tua Tagovailoa is, but Tua protects the football better than Josh Allen. He really, really does. Tua doesn't turn the ball over the way that Josh Allen does. But also, Josh Allen, you know, has more responsibility than Tua because there are times where the Buffalo Bills in the past, they have been relying on Josh Allen to carry them, to carry them. Now, the Dolphins running game hasn't been elite either, but I feel like they've been more reliable than the Bills running game over the last few years. So I like the head coaches as well in this matchup. Mike McDaniel versus Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott is a, is a defensive mind, and so he thinks defense first as a head coach, and Mike McDaniel is the exact opposite. He's offense first. So it's going to be interesting, that chess match with the Dolphins offense versus the Bills defense because that's essentially Mike McDaniel versus Sean McDermott. It's going to be a great matchup coming into the season. I had the Miami Dolphins – Winning the AFC East. And so I feel like the Miami Dolphins are the better football team. And I feel like right now, Tua is playing better than Josh Allen is. I roll with the Miami Dolphins to beat the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. I'll go Dolphins 34, Bills 28. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. I'll be right back.
And welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody remember, go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. The number to dial, 513-203-8655. Any particular topic that you want to discuss, we can talk about it on the show tonight. Let's transition. Let's go to Nashville. It's a matchup in the AFC. It's the one and two Cincinnati Bengals traveling to Tennessee to take on the one and two Tennessee Titans. The Bengals are favored by two and a half points. It's a one o'clock kickoff in Nashville. The over under for this matchup is 40.5. And so when I look at this matchup between the Bengals and the Titans, let's start off with the Bengals. And let's look at the Cincinnati Bengals. Obviously, they are led by quarterback Joe Burrow. So far this season, Joe Burrow has only two touchdowns, two interceptions, 563 passing yards. He's completing only 55% of his passes. But we know that Joe Burrow is currently compromised. We're talking about Joe Burrow who's one of the best young quarterbacks we have in the NFL. This is a Joe Burrow who, at LSU, he won a Heisman Trophy, a season in which he had 60 touchdowns, six interceptions. He led the LSU Tigers to a national championship game, and they won a national championship with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase as well. But Joe Burrow balled out for the LSU Tigers. He goes to the NFL, and in his rookie season, he gets injured. Now, it was bad that he got injured, but it was a blessing in disguise from the standpoint of the Bengals were able to draft Jamar Chase the next season. So if Burrow plays in, that, in his rookie season, the Bengals would not have had the draft pick that they had the year when they selected Jamar Chase. So he gets injured in his rookie season. In his sophomore season, the man leads the Bengals to a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl appearance. And then in his third year, he leads the Bengals to an AFC championship game. Joe Burrow is proven. He is one of the best young quarterbacks that we have in the NFL. So he's currently compromised. Joe Burrow is not overrated. I saw some people on Twitter the other night talking about how Joe Burrow is overrated and Tua Tagovailoa. It's better than Joe Burrow. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Joe Burrow for his career, 84 touchdowns, 33 interceptions, 12,337 passing yards, completing 67% of his passes. The man outside of Patrick Mahomes might be the best quarterback in the NFL when he's healthy. But he's not healthy right now, and he's been compromised on that calf and I thought last week in the week three win over the LA Rams on Monday night I thought we saw flashes of the Bengals elite offense you know the, the offense that we saw in 2021 and in 2022 we saw some flashes for that game the Bengals had 242 passing yards 309 total yards of offense Jamar Chase had his best 
game of the season so far. 12 receptions, 141 receiving yards. I felt like the Bengals were a T. Higgins, a few T. Higgins dropped passes away from being able to get into a rhythm and score more than 19 points. For the game, McPherson, he kicked four total field goals. But if T. Higgins doesn't drop some of those passes, the Bengals could have turned those field goals into touchdowns. So I felt like the, we, you saw flashes of the Bengals offense starting to, to get it together. Now the thing is with Burrow's injured calf, he doesn't have the velocity that he normally has on the football because he's injured. You know, in years prior, we saw Joe Burrow be able to put velocity and be accurate throwing the football. He's off at the moment because of that calf injury, and he's not going to get better. This is going to be an injury that Joe Burrow is going to have to deal with all season long, unfortunately. I know Bingo fans don't want to hear that, but I'm here to tell you the truth. And the truth is, these calf injuries, they don't get better. They, you, you need time to heal a calf injury for it, it to be 100%. You need time. And they don't have time because they're already three games into the season and they're sitting at one and two. You need Joe Burrow to play in these games. And in order for you to have a chance to win these games, you need Burrow to play even on an injured calf. But I felt like the biggest mistake that Zach Taylor made on Monday night against the Rams was Joe Burrow dropped back the pass 49 times on a bad calf. That's a problem. You need to run the football more with Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon for the game against the Rams, he only had 19 carries. You need Joe Mixon to have more rush attempts. You don't want J Joe Burrow to have to drop back and pass 49 times on a bad calf. Now, maybe he could drop back the pass 30 or 35 times per game, but not 49 times. They're, they're having him drop back the pass like he's 100% healthy. Zach, you have to run the football more with Joe Mixon and Trayvon Williams. So they, they got to do a better job of running the football, that offensive line for the Bengals has to create some running lanes for Joe Mixon. At center, you got Ted Karras. At right guard, you got Alex Kappa. Right tackle, Jonah Williams, Cardell Volson. They signed left tackle, Orlando Brown Jr. in free agency. So they have the offensive line to be able to run the football more. And then you could take some pressure off of Joe Burrow and that injured calf. Now, when you look at the Tennessee Titans on defense, up front, you got Jeffrey Simmons. You got Tyre Tart as well. At linebacker, you got Harold Landry III and Jack Gibbons. And in the secondary, you got Kevin Bayard, Amani Hooker, Christian Fulton. The Titans defense, they're a middle-of-the-pack defense. Like, they do good against the run, and that's going to be – a key in this matchup because I do think the Bengals should run the football more with Mixon, but the Titans are actually pretty good against the run. The Titans only give up 69 rushing yards per game. That's ranked fifth in the NFL. So that Titans front, they're doing a pretty good job up front at being able to contain the opposing team's running game. Jeffrey Simmons, Tart, Denico Autry, Harold Landry, Jack Gibbons, their linebackers, and their defensive linemen, give them credit. They've been able to stop the run so far this season. But 
you can pass against this Titans defense. They give up 270 passing yards per game. That's ranked 28th in the NFL. So if Joe Burrow was 100% healthy, I feel like the Bengals would have a field day on this Titans defense because I don't think the Titans have the right personnel to be able to slow down a Jamar Chase or a T. Higgins or a Tyler Boyd. But because Joe Burrow is compromised, I feel like this game is more evenly matched. It's, it's more evenly matched now because Joe Burrow is compromised. If he was healthy, this game would not be close in my eyes. Because the last few times that I've seen the Titans play against the Bengals, I feel like the Bengals have outplayed them. In one matchup, the Titans had nine sacks against the Bengals. That was in the 2021 NFL playoffs, the year when the Bengals went to the Super Bowl. In the divisional round matchup, the Bengals played the Titans in Nashville. The Titans sacked Joe Burrow nine times and still lost. They still lost their game. So I think the Bengals are a better football team than the Titans are overall. But let's switch sides. You look at the Tennessee Titans, obviously they're led by Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill, so far this season, one touchdown, three interceptions, 548 passing yards, completing 59% of his passes. Ryan Tannehill, he's not great. I don't even think Ryan Tannehill is average. He's a below-average quarterback. He played pretty well against the Chargers in week two. I think he went like 20 of 24 passing. He had his one touchdown pass against the Chargers, but he didn't play well last week against the Cleveland Browns. The key to this Titans offense, it's Derrick Henry. But Derrick Henry has not been himself so far this year. In order for the Tennessee Titans to be effective, you need Derrick Henry at an elite level. They can't afford for Derrick Henry to only be average. Derrick Henry is still their best player offensively. Now, the last few years, he hasn't been great. Now, last year, he did have 1,500 rushing yards, averaging over four yards per carry, 349 rush attempts, but he was injured as well last year, and he still had 1,500 rushing yards last year. But this Titans offense... They run through Derrick Henry. And so we, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if the Bengals can slow down and stop Derrick Henry in this game. Because if they can, it's going to force Ryan Tannehill to have to beat them. And I don't know if he can. I don't know if he can. But the thing is, the Bengals defense, they haven't been great against the run this year. Against the Cleveland Browns, the Browns had 206 rushing yards. Now that was with Nick Chubb. But they had over 200 rushing yards against this Bengals defense in week one. In week two, the Ravens had 178 rushing yards against that Bengals defense. The Bengals give up 152 rushing yards per game. That's tied for 29th in the NFL. And this is the reason why I wasn't ready to give the Bengals all this credit for their defensive performance in week three against the Rams. The Rams did not run the football. For whatever reason, Sean McVay did not run the football with his running back in Williams. Williams is a running back for the Rams now that Cam Akers is in Minnesota. Sean McVay didn't want to run the football. And the Bengals' weakness has been their run defense in the first three games of the season. So if the Titans can run the football with Derrick Henry, that will help their chances at being able to pull off an upset.
They got to run the football with Derrick Henry to have a chance. Now, obviously, the Titans, their skill position group, they're led by DeAndre Hopkins. They also got Traylon Burks, who's a solid number two receiver. They still got Nick Westbrook as well. The Titans skill position group, they are average. I like DeAndre Hopkins, but DeAndre Hopkins, he hasn't been great in these first three games. He hasn't been great. So far, 14 receptions, 153 receiving yards, no touchdowns for DeAndre Hopkins. He, he got he to get better. He got to get better because the trio of Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, and DeAndre Hopkins, that was supposed to be the trio that was going to help this Titans offense produce and be able to move, move the chains. And so far, he hasn't done that. I still know what he's capable of. I still know what he's capable of. Now, on that Bengals defense, remember, they are replacing Von Bell and Jesse Bates with Dax Hill and Nick Scott. And I thought Dax Hill was sensational in the week three win over the Rams. Dax Hill, I think he led the team in tackles in that game. Let me pull this up. Dax Hill, last week he had seven tackles, one sack. He played great in week three. So Dax Hill is growing before our eyes. He really, really is. But I, I, we got to see how he performs against these elite receivers like, like a DeAndre Hopkins. Because DeAndre Hopkins is an elite receiver when he's playing at his best. So we'll see what happens. It's an interesting matchup. I thought last week Sam Hubbard and Trey Henderson won that game for the Bengals because they were able to apply pressure on Matthew Stafford. Sam Hubbard had a sack, and Trey Henderson had two sacks against that Rams offense. And so that's going to be key in this matchup as well. Because I look at the Bengals defense, the Bengals fans get upset with me, but that Bengals defense, they're not elite. They At their best, they can be good, but they're not elite to me. You can't be elite if you give up 24 points to Deshaun Watson, 27 points to Lamar Jackson. Because I, I, I feel like you're elite when you go up against – elite offenses and elite quarterbacks. Even if they perform well against the Titans, I'm not going to consider the Bengals defense elite. Let's see how the Bengals perform when they go up against an elite offense like the 49ers here in a few weeks, like the Buffalo Bills later on in the season, a team that has a quarterback like Josh Allen. They got Patrick Mahomes as well later on in the season. That's how you know if your defense is elite. How do you perform against the elite offenses, and the other elite quarterbacks. This is a big-time matchup. The reason why this matchup is going to be close is because of Joe Burrow's health. So I feel like right now this is a perfect, perfect opportunity for the Titans to take advantage of Joe Burrow being injured. So I'm rolling with the Tennessee Titans to beat the Cincinnati Bengals and pull off the upset in Nashville. I'm going Titans 23, Bengals 20. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. I'll be right back. It's the World Wide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. 
here live on the World Wise Sports Network. Everybody remember, go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Remember, the number to dial is 513-203-8655. The number to dial is 513-203-8655. Let's transition to my favorite segment of the week. It's the NFL Week Four Wise Picks. In week three, my record was 11 and five. So I had a better record in week three than I did in week two. I hope to have a great record in week four. Let's start off with these NFL week four wise picks. It's the Atlanta Falcons and the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars are favored by three points. It's a 9.30 a.m. kickoff. The over-under for this matchup is 43.5. I believe this game is going to be played overseas. So I feel like the Jacksonville Jaguars are a better football team than the Atlanta Falcons are. Yes, the Falcons are 2-1, and one, and the Jaguars are 1-2. and two, But I believe Trevor Lawrence is more developed than Desmond Ritter is. So I'm rolling with Trevor Lawrence to beat Desmond Ritter. I'll go Jaguars 21, Falcons 20. The Pittsburgh Steelers, who have won two straight, are traveling to Houston to take on C.J. Strout and the Houston Texans. The Steelers are favored by three points. It's a 1 o'clock kickoff in Houston. The Pittsburgh Steelers defense, they are elite. They played some great football over the last two weeks. They are right now a top 10, arguably top 5 defense in the NFL. I think C.J. Strout will be frustrated Sunday afternoon. I feel like T.J. Watt and Highsmith, they're going to get after C.J. Strout. I'm rolling with the Pittsburgh Steelers to beat the Houston Texans 24-17. The L.A. Rams are favored by one point in Indianapolis, taking on Richardson and the Indianapolis Colts. It's a 1 o'clock kickoff. The over-under for this matchup is 45.5. I told everyone last week that the L.A. Rams are not a playoff team. I feel like the Colts are playing some great football, and they're maximizing their potential. I'm rolling with Anthony Richardson and the Indianapolis Colts to beat Matthew Stafford and the L.A. Rams. I'll go Colts 17, Rams 14. The 0-3 Minnesota Vikings are traveling to Carolina to take on the Carolina Panthers. The Vikings are favored by four and a half points. It's a one o'clock kickoff in Carolina. Bryce Young is expected to play in this game. He's been dealing with a nagging ankle injury. This is my weekly wise pick every week i have a upset pick of the week this is going to be my upset pick for week four i'm rolling with the carolina panthers to beat the minnesota vikings 27 to 24 the panthers are going to win their first game of the season this is a matchup between two oh and three teams the vikings are struggling i expect bryce young to perform well against that vikings defense so i'm going Panthers 27, Vikings 24, my week four 
upset pick of the week. Baker Mayfield and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are traveling to New Orleans to take on Jameis Winston and the New Orleans Saints. The Saints are favored by three and a half points. It's a one o'clock kickoff. The over-under for this matchup is 39.5. The Saints went scoreless in week three against the Packers in the second half. The Bucs have impressed me, even though they lost to the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday night. The Eagles are that great. I still think the Bucs are playing some nice football right now. So I'm rolling with the Bucs to beat the Saints. I'll go Bucks 24, Saints 23. The Washington Commanders are traveling to Lincoln Financial Field and taking on Jalen Hurts in the Philadelphia Eagles. It's a 1 o'clock kickoff in Philly. The over-under for this matchup is 43.5. The Eagles are rolling. I thought that win against the Bucks on Monday night, the way they were able to run the football and the way Swift was running in between the tackles, it really impressed me. I thought the offense got into a rhythm. So I don't really have high expectations for Sam Howe and the commanders in this game. This is the NFC East matchup. The Eagles are the class of the NFC East. They're going to prove it once again at Lincoln Financial Field Sunday afternoon. Eagles 31, commanders 17. Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens are in Cleveland taking on Deshaun Watson and the Cleveland Browns. The Browns are favored by three points. It's a one o'clock kickoff in Cleveland. The over-under for this game is 40.5. I don't understand why the Browns are favored to win this game. The Baltimore Ravens are a better football team than the Cleveland Browns are. So I'm rolling with the Ravens to beat the Browns in Cleveland. I'll go Ravens 27, Browns 20. The Denver Broncos are in Chicago taking on Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. The Broncos are favored by three and a half points. It's a one o'clock kickoff in Chicago. Unfortunately, someone has to win this game, but it wouldn't surprise me. If the Broncos and the Bears tie Sunday afternoon in Chicago, that's how bad the Denver Broncos and the Chicago Bears have been. So I'm going to say this game is going to end in a tie. I don't have faith in neither Russell Wilson or Justin Fields at the moment. So I'm rolling with a tie in the Broncos and Bears game. The Las Vegas Raiders are in L.A. taking on Justin Herbert and the L.A. Chargers. It's an AFC West battle. The over-under for this matchup is 48.5. The Chargers are favored by 5.5 points, 405 kickoff in L.A. I feel like the Chargers are a better football team than the Raiders are. The Chargers needed that win over the Vikings in Week 3. I think this is an opportunity for the Chargers to pile up some wins. Chargers take care of business and beat the Raiders in L.A., Chargers 31, Raiders 20. The New England Patriots are in Dallas taking on Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys are favored by six and a half points. It's a 4.25 p.m. kickoff. The over-under for this game is 43.5. The Cowboys had a letdown last week against the Arizona Cardinals. I believe it was a wake-up call. 
I expect the Cowboys to beat the Patriots. I'm going Dak Prescott, 28. Matt Jones, 21. The Arizona Cardinals are traveling to the Bay to take on Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers are favored by 14 points. Kickoff is set for 425 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The over-under for this game is 43.5. This is the biggest line of the weekend. The 49ers are going to take care of business over the Cardinals. I know it's the NFC West battle, so sometimes you have these games where these bad teams in a division will compete against the good teams in a division. That won't be the case this week. I'm rolling with the 49ers to beat the Arizona Cardinals 41-17. The Kansas City Chiefs are in New York to take on the New York Jets. The Chiefs are favored by eight and a half points. This is the Sunday night matchup on NBC. It's set for 8.20 p.m. kickoff. The over-under for this matchup is 41.5. This game will also be a blowout in my eyes. I'm rolling with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs to beat a New York Jets team that is currently depressed. I'm going Chiefs 31, Jets 13. The Monday night football matchup in New York at MetLife is Geno Smith and the 2-1 Seattle Seahawks traveling to New York to take on the 1-2 New York Giants. The Seahawks are favored by one and a half point. Kickoff is set for 8.15 p.m. The over-under for this game is 47.5. I feel like Geno Smith is better than Daniel Jones. I feel like the Seattle Seahawks are a playoff team in the NFC. The Giants are not. So with that being said, I'm rolling with the Seahawks to beat the Giants at MetLife Stadium. I'll go Seahawks 24, Giants 17. And those are my NFL Week 4 Wise Picks. Be sure to go and follow my Week 4 Wise Picks on the wise guys social media you can see my predictions i always post my predictions the morning of the games when these games start on sunday i always post these picks sunday morning so you can go on the wise guys social media and check out all my week four predictions everybody go follow wise guys on twitter at wise guys underscore h also on facebook wise guys and be sure to follow wise guys on instagram at these guys know sports it's a great weekend for football starting tonight we got a lot of high school football here locally in the Cincinnati area, so I'm excited for that. And then tomorrow at 12 p.m. in Boulder, Colorado, it's Caleb Williams versus Shadir Sanders. It's Lincoln Riley versus Dion Primetime Sanders. It's USC versus Colorado, a great matchup for college football. I can't wait to watch that matchup tomorrow on Fox, so be sure to tune in to that matchup and it's going to be a great weekend of football in week four as well. I'm Trey Larkin signing off the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody, enjoy your weekend. I'll see y'all next week.